Hey, what's up? Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the show. It is February 7th, 2022. We're just cruising through this year, cruising through the second semester. Um, conference tournaments are going to be upon us in no time. Um, really excited about that, and I'm excited to bring on today's guest. He was an NCAA champion at Oklahoma State. Today, he is the wrestling consultant. It is Teague Moore coming to us from Rockville, Maryland. Teague, how are you? I'm well. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. A um, few different things I kind of want to talk about today, but but you know, I guess first of all is, is was your coaching experience. So you coached I don't know, like twenty years, and at at a number of different schools. I guess just what are some of the things you learned from the different schools? Because there's like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. There's Harvard. There's Clarion. There's there's American. So you have like a lot of different types of school and types of wrestling schools. What are some of the, the biggest takeaways from having that wide variety? Well, for me, it was it was an extremely educational experience because every university had different processes and methods by which they did things. And so you, you touched upon a few. My first job when I came out of college, when I left Oklahoma State, was at the University of Pittsburgh. And so, you know, that uh, recruiting process, how kids were admitted to the school, um, you know, scholarships, how those worked. It was different from my second position at the University of Oklahoma, which was different than Oklahoma State, which was much different than Harvard, <laughs> which was much different than Clarion. Um, and, and what I took away from it was each institution is different and you have to understand the processes by which you've got to go through to be able to get a wrestler into the school from a coaching standpoint, you, your recruiting pool was a little bit different. Um, and you know, you had to know how those things work to be able to succeed. And so it was, uh, it, there was quite a learning curve. Every place I went to offered different positives and maybe had different negatives, but ultimately it was about trying to find the right place for each wrestler that was coming in. Yeah. Oklahoma State's a, it's a wrestling school. We all know that. That's where you went. Did you, you know, when you go to Pittsburgh and then I don't know, Harvard's a whole other thing. Like, were you were you surprised? Like, almost caught off guard that like, whoa, things are so different as far as how to get kids into school, or or did you think they'd be different? And you just didn't know exactly how until you got there. Yeah, I I I, I didn't expect the difference until I actually was, was doing it. So to your example, wrestled at Oklahoma state. And when I finished there, I was only there for a semester wrestling freestyle. And so I took my first coaching job at the university of Pittsburgh and I learned immediately, like the day I got in on the job, <clears throat> Oklahoma state is just like you said, it's a wrestling school. And when you recruit somebody, they get into school, right? <laughs> Uh, University of Pittsburgh, we didn't have that type of sway. We didn't have that type of ownership in the acceptance process. And so there was a learning curve there. And, and fortunately, I learned under Randy Stottlemyre. So I was with Randy for two years. Sinchiro Abe, who was a, a national champion of Penn State, was there. Jason Robeson, who wrestled at Edinburgh. So we had to understand how the system worked and then make it work for us. And so spent two years at Pitt. And then when I went to Oklahoma under Jack Spates, again, it was a much different process. Jack, I will say at Jack Spates at Oklahoma, 
he truly understood every nuance of the process and he knew the people at the university that he had to work with to make sure that he could get things done. And Jack was absolutely phenomenal at that. So, um, yeah, every place had its own nuances and positives, um, that you had to learn to work with to make it work for you and make your program better. And then to, to the same, to the same kind of question, I'm, I'm curious what Harvard was like, you know, that's like the, you hear that, right? Ivy League, Harvard's like a gold standard um, of an academic institution. How much different was Harvard from Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Pitt, uh, anywhere else maybe you had been in the lead up to going there? It was, it was quite different for me. It was the first institution that I went to that I was told, you cannot make a wrestler come in and train if they don't want to or if they have an academic assignment. And that was a complete foreign concept to me that an athlete, student athlete could say to the coach, well, I'm not going to be at practice today because I'm going to go do X to get ready for this class. And Jay Weiss, who was the head coach there and, and was a phenomenal mentor for me, he, you know, he explained that we are a, a part of their life. When they come to a place like Harvard, wrestling is a part of, of their life. It is not their whole life. And so learning th that and the parameters that you had to work under as a coach, so you could manage the student athletes daily schedule, their training regimen, how that fit in with their academic piece. And also at Harvard, guys are very involved with things that go on on the campus community and extracurricular. It's, it's why Harvard is Harvard, right? They're doing exceptional things. And so that was a learning curve unto itself and very different, like being in the Ivy League, no scholarships, they work off of grants. And so that was another process unto itself, not knowing what type of finances were going to come through for the family or for the kid. And then the acceptance rate, your acceptance rate is, is very, very minimal, four to five athletes a year. So you had to be very strategic as to who you were going after and what each freshman class was going to look like. You know, you're like, it was so foreign to me. I have a project. I got to mispractice. I have a this or that. or I got to mispractice. Did it take a while for you to like warm up to that, understand or accept it? Or was it like they told you and you're like, okay, I guess this is the way it is. Um, my personality, um, I struggle with a lot, especially if someone tells me I have to do something my personality is that I struggle with it. I don't like being told this is what you're going to do and this is how it's going to be. And so, yes, there was a learning curve for me that, that I had to accept and understand that there were priorities in the student athlete's life that trumped the wrestling practice, the training session, the lift or the run. And you had to, you had to accept that. And luckily I was at, I was at a time with Jesse Jansen and Max Meltzer was in the program then. Um, and there were some young alumni that were still around the, the, the program, Dustin Denuncio. And those guys really helped me because I was, I was a bull in a China shop, right? I, it was the Oklahoma State mentality. Like, we're going to win at wrestling. This is the priority in life. This is all we do. And those guys really helped gear me to understand that we had to prioritize things. And so you had to be much more organized, right? There was never a day that you could just come into practice and say, well, I, th I think we'll work on these things. You, you knew you only had 90 minutes with these guys. 
And so you had to maximize that 90 minutes and be as efficient as possible when they walked in the room. And so I, I took it as it really helped my coaching because I got very organized in, in knowing every athlete in the room. If guys were going to step out, they, they needed a partner later on. So you had to figure out who was going to come back later with them to catch up a workout when they were able to train. And so you had to have your, your thumb on the pulse of the whole team and the whole program to understand, was everybody going to get their workouts in? And sometimes you had to do those at odd times. Sometimes you were in there at 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, or you were in there exceptionally early. You were in there at 5.30 or 6 in the morning. But that's what you had to do to succeed. That's crazy. Um, and I guess, how did American University stack up? You know, it feels like Oklahoma State's one extreme. Maybe Harvard was another extreme uh, at a different way, but the, the kinds of things we're talking about. Where, where did American fit with the um, getting kids accepted to school, maybe uh, tailoring practices around other things in their lives, if that was, uh, was, that was the thing there too? Yeah, it was, it was very similar to Harvard. Uh, if I were to stack up all the programs that I w- was coaching with or head coach of American was very similar to Harvard in that your student athletes are studying to uh, become doctors or lawyers, or, you know, they're aspiring to grad school the, the day that they come in as an undergrad. And so for me, the experience at Harvard was extremely helpful that I understood this is the type of student athlete that you're working with. So how do I help them reach that goal? At the same time, we want to maximize this wrestling opportunity for the next four to five years. And, and for me, it was re- very important to be on board with the parents. If the parents understood the challenges that we faced as coaches and, and as a program with, you know, maybe it was the time of the day that we were going to practice, uh, the availability of certain facilities on campus you know there there was one one weight room one gymnasium one wrestling room that sometimes got used by other sources on campus and so you had to work with all those things and your assistant coaches had to be fully on board assistant coaches had to have their eyes and ears open so that you wouldn't get thrown a curveball and find out that you're not going to be able to have practice today or tomorrow because something else is coming through that we're not able to be in the room. Example, at a place like American, you're only two and a half miles from the White House. And so there were times where there were government officials that were coming through our campus. It might be as something as simple as their kids are going to be using the swimming pool at the university. And so they're going to sweep the locker rooms and the facilities and everybody's got to be out of there. Or, or there's a world-renowned speaker that's coming to campus and nobody can be in the building. Right. So you have to adapt and you have to figure out a way to make it work. That's crazy. (laughs) No practice today because some dude's coming to to speak. Right. I mean, it's bigger than that, but that's like uh, simplified. That's kind of kind of here's here's a good one. I just want to throw a good story. I went to to work the one day at American and I hadn't been paying attention to the emails and I got there and they said, you guys are going to have to be out of here by this time today. And I said, why? And they said, the Dalai Lama is coming to speak. And so I started seeing all the people coming in the building that, you know, were dressed um, like that. And they started going downstairs to where our locker rooms were. So I, I kind of milled around for the next 30 minutes, hoping that I would cross paths with the Dalai Lama <laughs> by accident. 
I never did, but those were the type of experiences at a place like American um, that you face challenges like that. I never had, I never experienced that when coaching at Oklahoma or <laughs> Oklahoma State, but at a place like American, you do, or a place like Harvard, you do. It's it's different and it's challenging. Yeah, I think that's really cool and really interesting, like the perspective that you have going from all these different schools. And that's kind of wanted to dive into the, the differences and, and the way they're set up and the structures. And, and that, I think that segues into the wrestling consultant, right? So like you're consulting people on, uh, I believe it's mostly high school kids looking to get into college, but what was the genesis behind this? And then just kind of pitch us on exactly what, what it is that you're doing. So I knew last January when I finished coaching at American, I knew that I knew that I didn't want to be coaching at the college level, you know, on institutional campuses anymore. I knew that I wanted to go a different direction. So I'm now full time with real estate development. But I have I have a very unique knowledge base of college wrestling just because I did it for 20 years. And like you've already alluded to, I I was at so many different institutions, Uh, Clarion University compared to Harvard you know, just the extremes of what you were dealing with. And so what I did is, is I kicked back and I thought, how can I give this knowledge back to the wrestling community that I'm going to be able to help navigate the next generation? And so that's where the consulting idea came from. If I can help a parent or a high school wrestler navigate this, this recruiting process to pick the right program in the right school to mitigate the amount of transfers that happen. Right now, transfers are going through the roof. I personally believe it's because kids are rushing through the process. They want to make an, a social media yeah. advertisement about where they're committed. They're not doing their homework to find out, is this the right coach for me? Is this the right program for me? Is this the right university for me? Right. There's a myriad of, of obstacles, not only as a wrestler, I think more as a parent that you have to look at and understand in this process. And so I really, over this first year of doing it, I'm coming up on a one year anniversary of it. The parents that I've met through this process, there's a very common theme. Uh, Mr. Moore or Coach Moore, our son wants to wrestle in college. My wife and I didn't do sports in college. We have no idea what to do. We don't know the questions to ask. We don't even know where to begin. And so what I do is I will get with the wrestler and their parents, sometimes a coach, and I will throw a list of questions at them to start to find out what are you looking for? Do you want a big university? Do you want a small university? Do you want a wrestling coach that's going to make you train two, three times a day? Do you want to train 12 months out of the year? Uh, what is it you want out of your academics? Sometimes I get kids that say, I just want to wrestle. Like, I don't want to have to, academics aren't a high priority for me. I just, I want to be a national champion. And then I get other kids that say, I want to do not only my undergrad, but my master's, but I, I don't want wrestling and training to take up my whole day. I don't want to be in an environment where I'm cutting a lot of weight if I'm trying to be an engineer or, or go to law school. And so I help them figure out what schools should you be looking at? What coaching personalities will you fit with? 
the example I always give, and I'm sure you can, you know, at, at the level that you work in our, in our industry, the personality between a Kale Sanderson and the personality between the Tom Brands are, are drastically different, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying one is better than the other. I just, what I try to convey to the wrestlers and parents is that when you make the choice, wherever you're going to go wrestle, that coach's personality and what they're going to ask of you is very important because that's going to either make your life and your career enjoyable or it can make it absolutely miserable and you may end up transferring and you lose credits. You lose thousands of dollars in money when you lose those credits. Let's slow down the process and find the right coach for you. Let's find the right program. Let's find the right university. And if we do that, your next four to five years could be very enjoyable and you could walk away getting the greatest experience of your life or in two or three years, you may never be wrestling again because you had such a bad experience with it. Why do you think kids choose it? Maybe, maybe they just want to get the decision made, right? But like, why do you think it happens that people end up at a school with a coach that eventually they realize it's not the right personality, whatever school that might be? Just my opinion, but I think a lot of times kids and parents are scared to ask tough questions. And so therefore, they don't really dig deep into what is my life going to look like on a daily basis when I come into your program, right? Some coaches are the 6 a.m., you're here for a lift, and you're in with the whole team, and this is what we do, and you're back in that afternoon, and you're doing two hours of live wrestling, You've got to know and understand what that coach's expectations are. There's other coaches out there, division one, two, and three, that you can individualize your lifting time. You can, you can shift your wrestling workouts based on your needs, right? Not every day, but some coaches are very flexible, very lenient, right? You've got to be able to ask those questions. And a lot of times, the re- especially the high school wrestler, they are so intimidated when they talk to a college coach, a lot of times they don't even, they don't want to ask any questions. Mm-hmm. Parents are the same way. They kind of, they either get so focused on the financial aid or, or other aspects of it. They're not asking what's the daily life for my wrestler going to look like when you ask those questions and you can get the honest answers, or you can go on a visit and find out from the team what's the daily life like, a lot of times the kids that go through that and ask the questions and the parents ask the questions and they get the answers, they usually end up much happier down the road because they know. They know how much time their wrestler is going to get off for Christmas or Thanksgiving or none at all, right? Yeah. Uh, they, they at least know ahead of time. Mom is not finding out mid-December that he's <laughs> only coming home for three days or four days. Yeah. I guess from your personal experience, right? What was the recruiting process like for you? Did you look at a lot of schools? And if you can go back, I assume you liked the decision, right? Um, But if you could go back, is there anything you would do differently in your recruiting process, knowing what you know now? Knowing what I know now, I don't don't know that I would have changed my end point. Mm -hmm. But just knowing now that there is there's the option and opportunity. And back in 1995, the concept of not even going to college, like a Henry Cejudo type route, that wasn't in existence yet. And so 
looking back on it, yeah, I probably would have ended up at Oklahoma State. I took a, so so my process. I took a, a visit to Penn State. I took a visit to Oklahoma State. I had a trip to Cornell planned. This was right when Rob Cole, you know, was getting his his program put together. Um, I took my trip to Penn State, took my trip to Oklahoma State, came home, accepted an, an offer at Oklahoma State, canceled my Cornell trip. And, um, you know, looking back on that, I probably would have told, if I could consult myself back then, I would have said, take your trip to Cornell and just hear them out, hear Rob Cole out and see what he has to offer. See if going to Cornell is an option for you. Um, wrestling wise, I wouldn't change anything. My right. experience with coach Smith, although turbulent and rocky, the vast majority, which I brought upon myself because I was a complete bonehead. <laughs> okay. I was a complete bonehead. Um, I, my experience at Oklahoma state was absolutely phenomenal. It, it prepared me for my international career. It prepared me for 20 years in division one college coaching. Um, the Oklahoma State fans and family, mind you, I moved halfway across the country. The fans and family of Oklahoma State really helped take care of me uh, during that time. I lost my dad my my second year of college. That was a really tough time. They helped me get through that. Uh, they helped prepare me for my international run. Guys like Pat Smith that really gave me a lot of insight and thought process into the international run. Kendall Cross, of course, Coach Smith was a huge piece of that. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't think I would have changed my choice, but you know, things are different now. Nowadays, things are different. Penn state being the way that it is and me being a Pennsylvania guy, I probably would have, I know my family would have leaned on me to stay at Penn state, to stay close to home. But back then you had John Smith just coming off of two Olympics, four world titles. Like, how do you not go there? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm kind of interested too. You, you said, I, you said that it was turbulent your relationship with John or something, you were bonehead. Can you expand upon that at all? Since you brought it up. Um, yeah, my, my, my brain was not developed. I was like a, I was like a Neanderthal uh, caveman wrestling okay. in college. Um, I did a lot of things that I, I look back on and I wish I would have. So the last time I did an interview with you, I told the story how I got police escorted out of a bedlam duel. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, that was my junior year. My senior year, I got suspended after the Bedlam duel because I flipped their crowd off at the end of the match. I did a lot of bonehead things that just, um, like I said earlier, I was just a bull in a china shop. Like I, I, I had goals that I didn't want anybody to get in my way, including my opponents. So I handled myself in a way that I, I probably shouldn't have. And looking back on it, I don't know if Coach Smith would handle me different today than he did back then. Um, but again, I created a lot of those problems myself. Coach Smith never, you know, encouraged any of that. In fact, I, you know, my junior year when I won the Nationals, I kicked the laptop off of a table and almost got kicked out of the National Tournament. I almost didn't compete in the national tournament that I won. Right. Uh -huh. And so I just, I made mistakes all the time. Right. And, and young kids do that. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but 
it definitely didn't need to be as turbulent as it was. That was completely on me. Sure. Um, okay, you mentioned the the bedlam duel, which you know Oklahoma is really a national contender a lot of times back then. So that was that was something. You know, Iowa and Oklahoma State are wrestling this weekend in a baseball stadium in, in Dallas. What was that rivalry like for you, Iowa, Oklahoma State, being a cowboy, probably having grown up, maybe seen this rivalry a little bit, but just like being a part of it, what what like some of the memories that stick out? Um, so memories that stick out for me, the article that Kyle Klingman re- recently wrote, uh, he called it the greatest college duel of all time. At the time, we didn't know it going into it. I mean, the accolades of the 20 guys that wrestled in that duel will be very hard to match moving forward, not only from the NCAA national champion All-American standpoint, but also internationally what guys accomplished that were in those two lineups. Um, It was, at that time, extremely, extremely heated so anybody that listened to the podcast of the Smith family to understand the history of Gable and the Smiths was, it was very deep rooted, right? And once you joined the Oklahoma State family, you were made, you were made to understand this is personal, right? This is not just a wrestling match. This is personal. The, the shirts that the Iowa fans would wear and make regarding Coach Smith and the Smith family, really, really unbelievable, right? What, what were but they? That would, um, one of which I won't even say on air because um, it was just it was just a really bad. It, it, it said, um, Oklahoma State sucks, right? And then on the back of the shirt, it said something regarding Coach Smith, right? Uh-huh. And this was a, this was a shirt that they that their fans printed, sold, and wore. And it was just um, looking back on it, it fueled the fire, right? It threw gasoline on the fire. Um, looking back on that dual meet, um, when we went to Carver Hawkeye, there was a snowstorm on I thirty five. And the vast majority of Oklahoma State fans that were supposed to drive up couldn't make it. You couldn't make it up I-35. So there was like maybe 30 fans, 35 fans of Oklahoma State that made it in early and were able to be at the duel. So you have a sold-out Carver-Hawkeye Arena, over 14,000 fans. There's 35 Oklahoma State fans, right? Tough. Um, it really tough environment, right? Uh, Iowa has Chuck Yegla, one of their alumni, officiating their matches. Nothing against Chuck, right? He did a phenomenal job. But to know going into that, okay, we're going into enemy territory. They've got one of their alumni on the mat officiating the match. And now you have to overcome those odds, right? And so f- for me, tremendous experience preparing down the road to go wrestle in Russia, go wrestle in Iran, go wrestle in Cuba, those dual meets and the energy, the fire that went into those dual meets was a really good learning experience. And the dual meet that Kyle talked about for me turned out good. I ended up getting a major over Eric Jurgens, but then Eric Guerrero ends up losing to Schwab. He was beating Schwab handedly going into the third period, I think, and ends up falling nine to eight. 
And I remember when Eric lost, the arena was so loud. It, the only way I can describe it is like if you're ever out on the tarmac and like a, a, a 747 is gearing up to take off and your body just shakes. Uh-huh. That's what Carver Hawkeye felt like when Schwab beat him. It was just this roar that shook everything in the building. And so those experiences um, were, were really fun to be a part of. And it prepared you for the NCAA championships. It prepared you down the road for going to places where, like I said, foreign countries, when you go in, the Russians are not going to treat you well. The officiating is not going to be good. And when you go to Iran, the, the officiating is not going to be good. The food is not going to be good. The hotel's not going to be good. The travel's not going to be good. So what do you do? You find a way to win. You find a way to compete. And, and that's ultimately what I take away from those experiences is that it prepared you to go up against all odds and find a way to succeed, find a way to get through it. Right. Sure. So, and I, I read Kyle, Kyle, saw Kyle's article and actually went and found that duel on YouTube. And I think I just watched the first match, which was yours and, and you, and you did win. Um, well, first of all, who, how did the, I don't, I, I didn't read the whole article. How did the duel go? Did you guys win? Did you lose? Give me the general wrap up there. We did. We won the duel at the very end. It came down to heavyweight and it came down to, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. It came down to heavyweight because Pat Papalizio, who's, who's now the head coach at NC State, he got stalled out against, against Lee Fullhard in the second period. It was a total homer job. And, and again, I, I love Chuck. He's a great official, but that might've been one of the most Homer calls I ever saw. Iowa needed bonus points at 190 to stay in the match and have a chance to win it. And so Pat got stalled out five stalling calls against him in like four minutes. It was horrendous. So Pat gets DQ'd and it lines up the heavyweight bout. I think we were like up, we were up 1918 because of that six points they just got. I think it was 1912 going into 190. That made it 1918. Heavyweight goes back and forth. They go to overtime. And that was back in the day where it was like, uh, I can't remember if they flipped the disc or it was a 30-second ride out. You had to ride them out to win or get out from bottom. Our guy got set. Ben Lee got set. Uh, who was it? Uh, Wes Hand from Iowa was the heavyweight. He got set on top and Yegla like was getting them set. And I remember it was an odd start. He like, he either didn't give the cadence, right? Like bottom man set top man on. And it was kind of like a bottom man set. And he put the whistle in his mouth and he blew it. And our guy like, boom, explodes up out of bottom and gets the escape. Wes hands kind of looking around like what just happened. And so Yegla kind of like, he realized he blew the whistle and he gives the one, and that's it. Match is over. So we won the duel. And I remember John saying to us, get off the floor. Like, shake hands and get out of this arena right now because there's 14,000 very, 14, very angry Hawkeye fans. And so he sent us through the garage door to go up to the locker room. And um, it was a, it was an – the whole duel meet was full of ups and downs, right? Like – I major Jurgens. Eric ends up losing to Schwab. Um, 
134, Mark Ironside pinned Jamil Kelly. Um, and then Steven Schmidt, our, our 49 pounder, or back then 42 pounder, huh. he pins Jeff McGinnis. They've been going back and forth. McGinnis hooked up a, a cradle and Steven Schmidt, Steven was fun to watch wrestle. He kind of like weaseled his way out of the cradle, ends up with McGinnis in a cradle and pins him. And, and Carver Hawkeye went from, I mean, they were raging from Schwab's win, from Ironside's win. And McGinnis is on his way to a cradle fall. And then somehow Steven Schmidt slips out, pins him, and it went silent. Like you could hear a pin drop in Carver Hawkeye. Um, and the rest of the duel went like that. The duel was back and forth all the way up till they needed Chuck's help to get back in at 190. They got the help they needed. And then we beat him in overtime. This is like, like literally the hair on my arm standing up. Like you're putting me back into this moment, like feeling like I, I was there. Um, it just sounds super exciting. And actually the, the first time I ever went to Carver, I think it was 2012. It was Oklahoma State, Iowa. And Ramos upset Jordan Oliver. Um, one of the loft houses and Chris Perry got into a fight. Um, it, it, and it came down to... The la- I think it was he- it must have been heavyweight. I don't know why I felt like heavyweight went earlier, but it came down to the last match. It was a nineteen nineteen tie, and then it's kind of like anticlimactic because they're like tie, and nobody was at least I wasn't paying attention to criteria, and so they head table five minutes later is like and Oklahoma State wins, you know, on criteria. Um, but it- <laughs> <laughs> but, but so I guess when you guys won. John's like, get out now. Like, were you, I don't know, did you have fear? Were you fearing for not your life, right? But safety or thinking anything was going to get thrown at you? Or were you just like, all right, we better get out of here because that's the best, that's probably the right thing to do? Uh, that garage door to get out of Carver Hawkeye, uh-huh. it, it's one way in, one way out. Yeah. Right? So you have to go past the Hawkeye bench to get to the garage door to get back up to your locker room. Right. Uh-huh. And all I remember is as we're running across and we're doing whatever we were doing, probably like <laughs> six shooting. Um, I remember as I ran through that garage door, there was just, there was like gobs of spit coming down. <laughs> oh. but, but the goal was just get off the floor and get out of there because it, there was a lot of angry, upset people at the end of that duel. Um, no, I wouldn't say like I feared for that, but the energy in those places at those events is electric. It's just like the NCAAs. Anytime you take someone to the NCAA championships and they've never experienced it before, and you go from Thursday to Friday to Saturday, when you walk in for a session, you can feel the energy. It's like, it makes you hum. And that's the way those dual meets feel. I don't know what an outdoor baseball stadium or football stadium duel feels like, but I feel like there's something. When I was watching last week's Iowa Penn state match, I had those vivid memories of wrestling in those events. And they're like nothing you've ever experienced because as you're getting ready to wrestle, there's 14,000 people focused on you stepping onto the mat. And then it's however many people back then were listening to it on the radio. Now 
how many people are watching it on Big Ten Network. It's like, I mean, you're talking millions of people. And for these young men to be able to absorb that and be able to prepare to execute in those moments, it's amazing. I love watching it. I get goosebumps when I watch those matches because I, I can remember what it was like as the athlete going into those situations and knowing when you walk out there, you have to wipe all that out and just be able to execute for your match. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in life. And, and that duel, the one we're talking about, was that your first time wrestling in Carver or had you had a crack at it before? Because it seemed like you did a good job of wiping everything. You know, you performed really well. That's a really good question. I think, um, I feel like I had, but to be honest with you, I'd have to go back and check the record yeah. books because my freshman year, I wrestled Mena. My sophomore year, I wrestled Whitmer. My junior year, I wrestled Jurgens, And then my senior year, I wrestled a guy named Ben Cressonis. So I went through four different Hawkeyes. And I remember being in Carver Hawkeye multiple times to compete. But um, they don't all stand out to me. I know we wrestled a national duels there at one time. I know we wrestled a dual meet there at one time. I know we wrestled Iowa at our place. So there were, yeah, kind of all start to blend. I forget the chronology of it well at your age we understand your memory is kind of like yeah um, i'm 29 yeah so wait mena whitmer jurgens were they all national finalists or uh, they yeah. were really high place all americans if not i think they all won yeah Me- mena was mena, mena was a runner-up to to eric guerrero and then whitmer like I, I beat him in the national dual match a few weeks before, and then I lost to him in that semis that were at Northern Iowa Gables last year. 97. I lost to him in the semis that year. I, that was a horrible match. That's one of the ones that will wake you up. Probably when I'm 95 years old, I'll still wake up in the middle of the night wondering why I did what I did in that match. What'd and then Jurgens, what did I do? I, I stuck my head up my own rear end. <laughs> And I, and I didn't go to wrestle my match. I was out there trying to wrestle from underhooks, which Whitmer was shorter than I was. So yeah. I'm like five foot tall. He's like, yeah. I don't know what he was, four foot ten. But he kept underhooking me, and I wasn't, I wasn't wrestling to control the situation. I should have just gone to it like an overhook and looked to try to inside trip or or outside trip him. But I kept just trying to bail out of the underhook, and it gave him an advantage. I got hit for stalling. Then I started taking bad shots, and he was just doing simple go-behinds. Instead of just getting back to my bread and butter, create space, a lot of fakes, get them reacting. And then, like most, um, I always felt like if I could get to his leg and just lift it up, if I could get any of those three guys' legs up off the ground, I felt like I was going to score a takedown. But I didn't. I didn't do that in that match. I kept wrestling his game. And I didn't mean to open up a can of worms. You may have to. See, he, he may have to see your therapist later this week. So, my apologies. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I do it twice a week, so it's oh, all good. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, the <laughs> memories have not um, gone away. Um, yeah. you, you you talked about you know, or you mentioned earlier when we're talking about the consulting. Hey, you got to know the differences between these coaches and their personalities and everything else. Um. And, and what, what do you think? Now we're talking about today, right? You got John Smith, you got Tom, Tom or Tom and Terry brands. 
and I'm sure you know John a lot better than you know the brands, but what what do you think is similar and different about these guys? Similar is easy. These are die hard competitors. They will compete at wrestling, skipping stones. They will compete at holding their breath. They'll compete at everything, right? They're high risk gamblers. These guys will check what the odds are and they'll find a way to get them into their favor, right? So that's the similarity, just ultra competitors. And anybody that's around them can feel that. Whether you're around Tom and Terry or whether you're around John or whether you're around any any of these coaches at a high level, Tommy Ryan's like that, Chris Bono's like that, like all of these guys are like that. Um, for me, the, okay, so what are the differences? Over the years, I feel like John, Coach Smith, has done a very good job of developing his athletes to their strengths, right? He doesn't make everybody wrestle his style or a specific Oklahoma State style. He will figure out what works for them, and then he'll develop that, right? I think the brands, and I'll, and I'll group them together, even though they should be separate, because Terry is very good at what he does, and Tom is very good at what he does. But those guys do an exceptional job of getting their athletes to understand the strengths of Iowa wrestling, their style, their mentality, their effort, and they get guys to buy into it, right? So that is very what I would consider like um, they mold the athlete into their style. Whereas I feel like John is much more creative. He'll take guys that come in and if he sees that they do something exceptional on top, he builds off of it. If he sees that they have an interesting way of controlling tie-ups or using tie-ups to their advantage, he'll build on it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to push everybody into what he did as an athlete or what, you know, Oklahoma state may, may be known for. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm, I'm pumped up, you know, like I said, the, the baseball stadium, this Saturday, um, so and there's one more little segment I want to do with you, and I don't think we did this last time we were on the show because I don't think we had come up with the concept yet, but it's called wins and whoopings. Okay, so this is like for you, thinking back over the entirety of your career from peewee wrestler to, you know, the international circuit and anything in between, like looking for one win and one loss that stand out. Um, the win can be your best win or national finals win or, or a, a big win to Carver like that or, or a comeback win or something that's just like, man, that was memorable and that felt good. And I'm, I'm going to remember that win forever. And that the opposite, like on the extreme end, right, is like an ass whooping that you took that maybe haunts you to this day. Or maybe it was just an ass whooping that it just happened, but you were like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. It's got beat the, beat the crap out of me. There's nothing I can do. So one win and one loss yeah. and you can do either one first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll go with the loss. Uh, the loss for me was was the national duels my freshman year. I went to the national duels my freshman year. I went 0-5. I got pulverized, 118 pounds. Mena, um, the, uh, uh, the guy that I wrestled in the NCAA finals my junior year from Michigan State, David Morgan, he – 
he treated me like I was a high school wrestler coming into wrestle college. He took me down, he rode me, he turned me at the end of that national duels. I can remember I was so humiliated at the end of that national duels. I went up into the stands and I told my dad, I'm done. I quit. Like I'm not doing this cause I can't do it at this level. And so I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure out a way to move on. Cause I don't, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And my dad basically gave me a very good father-son speech. He basically said, uh, don't plan on coming home because you will not have a room at the house anymore. So that's number one. Number two, this is paying for your college. So I don't know what you're going to do to pay for college, but you better learn some sort of trade or something because you're going to have to pay rent and you're going to have to pay bills and all of that. You're sitting here crying about losing a wrestling match. Are you kidding me? Right. My dad was old school. My dad uh, had a really rough upbringing um, and he became an exceptional father and an exceptional provider. So he gave me a very realistic view of that. That was probably for me one of those moments where I felt so bad about myself about getting pulverized on the mat that I had to like completely fix my mindset and, and shift my attitude. And thank goodness I did and got on the right path and things worked out in my favor after that. But it was a brutal freshman year and that was probably the pinnacle of how bad it was. Uh, Best win, I would probably say, um, oh man, Um, I I would either say NCAA finals where I beat David Morgan and, and ended up getting a fall or winning the university world championships in 2000 in Tokyo, because I felt like winning that world championships. Cause I beat a Russian in the semis, a fairly tough Russian. And I beat a Turk that was competing well on the senior level at that time. And so getting that world championship proved to me mentally, like I had arrived. I knew then when I won that world title, I can, I can compete with Sammy Henson I can compete with Steven Abbas. These guys had already won senior worlds, junior worlds. And I felt like, okay, I won my world title. Now it's time for me to take over at the, at 54 kilos. So those would be my, my two memories. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and really that's kind of, kind of do it. Um, it's been a really cool talk, you know, talking about the different schools and the places you've been and how you've transitioned into the wrestling consultant. Um, What's the way? Is it thewrestlingconsultant.com? Yeah, correct. So if anybody wants to check it out, thewrestlingconsultant.com, or you can email me, thewrestlingconsultant at gmail.com. And the only thing I would, I would plug on it is if, if you're a parent of a high school wrestler, or I'm also getting a lot of consulting from kids that are in college and mom and dad need help on the transfer process. They don't know where to go. They don't know what they're allowed to ask, what they're not allowed to ask, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. So high school wrestlers, high school parents, um, college wrestlers, a college parent, if they're wrestlers wanting to transfer, um, look me up, uh, thewrestlingconsultant.com. And um, the other the other thing that's really kind of morphed out of this, I, I've had two college coaches that reached out to me and said, I know you're doing consulting for the wrestlers and, and parents, do you help college coaches? And at the first phone call, I was like, uh, what do you mean? He was like, well, I'm a new college coach. 
I were, I don't I like, I have an idea of where I want to take my program, but I'm not sure what steps to take. And so I've, and I've been helping two college coaches that are just trying to figure out how do you, what's the recruiting plan? What should it look like? Um, how do you fundraise? How do you communicate with your alumni? How do you do all those sort of things? So that's something that's morphed out of this that I never expected, but um, it's another way that I'm giving back to the community. So it's, it's been fun and exciting. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I, and I think this, this conversation has been fun and exciting. And I always learned something new. And you took me right back <laughs> to Carver Hawkeye in 1995. And I just I felt like I was there. So I appreciate that. Um, it's always a great to win it. And, and it will begin this Saturday. Um, any closing words from you? Final thoughts before we let you move on with your day, Teague? Uh, no, I just I want to thank you and what you guys do for the sport of wrestling. I, I am very appreciative as a wrestling fan based on what you have done now for a really long time. I don't know if your fans know, but you're, I think you're 63 now. You've been doing this for a couple of decades, 64. Yeah. Um, No, but, but on a serious note, what you guys do for the sport is absolutely exceptional. And I'm excited for where the sport of wrestling is going to go in another decade, two decades, three decades. I think we, finally broke through and people are seeing how exciting our sport can be. And it's kudos to guys like you that were at the ground level running around the tournaments and filming matches and commentating on them. So um, I just appreciate what you guys have done. Awesome. Teague, thanks so much. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on. Best of luck with everything. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Oh man, that was fun. Great stories from Teague Moore. Really appreciate him coming on and, and sharing that stuff with us. And we got to have him on again because every time he comes on, stories, stories, stories. Great, entertaining stories. But um, that's going to do it for today. Tomorrow, that was that was the uh, Oklahoma State side. We got Royce Alger. Talk about the Hawkeye side of things tomorrow. Same place, same time. So we'll see you then. Adios.